Well, let's be clear. Every single one of them is broken. They're all broken. They're all because we're all broken. All of us are broken in different ways. Some of us um, have a guide dog next to them, and you know right away what their handicap is or what their physical challenge is, like with my dad. Some people you don't know right away. And what my dad taught me is don't let that be your limitation. Let that be your inspiration. From cave drawings to family histories to stories around the fire, humans crave order among chaos, connection amid isolation. So we tell stories. Our mission at the Storytellers Network is to bring the art of story to the masses. Whether you're in marketing, you're an entrepreneur, or you're developing your own personal brand, telling your story effectively can make the difference between celebrating milestones and collecting unemployment. The Storytellers Network strives to help storytellers tell their stories so you can learn from the best. Now, your host, Dan Moyle. Welcome to the Storytellers Network podcast. I am your host, and I am so excited for today because I believe so deeply in the power of story and what it does for us humans. It connects us, it brings us together, it helps us to be seen and to be heard, and it is absolutely an incredible movement right now going on in the storytelling world. And my guest today, my goodness, does he bring it. Uh, And we'll get to that in just a second. But before we do, a very quick reminder, our website uh, has all kinds of great resources available, past episodes to listen to, great storytellers, contact information there for me if you want. It's all at thestorytellersnetwork.com. So here we go. For the season seven finale, we're here in the season of entertainment storytellers. I have the absolute privilege of introducing you, faithful listeners, to a great storyteller with what I would consider an enormous reach in the entertainment world. He's created a few TV shows out there, including one right now that just premiered season two just a matter of days ago as you're listening to this. DJ Nash created the show on ABC called A Million Little Things. And seriously, my lovely bride and I watch it every week. In fact, it was her idea to ask DJ onto the show which we talk about, uh, so listen for that. And so, so DJ, he's the creator of the show Growing Up Fisher also, which only had one season but was terrific, and a couple others that are out there. I don't understand why so many good shows get canceled, but I digress. He's worked on other shows and is a storyteller I admire. He's tackling issues today like mental illness, cancer, relationships, and so much more with empathy and understanding of humans that inspires me. So without further ado, let's get to those stories. DJ Nash, welcome to the Storytellers Network. Thanks for being here with me. Thank you for having me. Awesome. So I'm so excited because first of all, before we get into this, I have to tell you, um, I'm surprised she's not in here breaking down my door. My wife is the one that suggested that I reach out to you because we're such huge fans of the show and she saw you in a Facebook group doing like an ask me anything and she's like, hey, you've got to talk to DJ. We love the show. And I thought, okay, I'll try. So thank you, Sonia, uh, for making this happen. But um, so yeah, so she's excited about You are so smart to start with a shout out to your wife. That is, that is brilliant. Listen, I've already been through one. (laughs) I've already been through one marriage and going through two. (laughs) Okay. All right. That's smart. Okay. All the more reason. Yeah. Right. So, all right. So DJ, let's start with the easy question. Um, what would have happened if John and Maggie would, no, I'm just kidding. Um, I want to, I love, I love the show, but anyway, uh, I, but I want to start with an easy question though. Do you consider yourself a storyteller, man? 
Well, I hope so. Yeah. Uh, well, ABC's put a lot of money into that. So <laughs> yeah, I hope so. Um, I do. It goes back to my stand-up days. I mean, it's surprising probably for some people to learn that uh, the that I my roots are in stand-up comedy, and and what I love doing on stage was just telling stories of real things that happened. I would always keep a notebook with me. And when a funny thing happened at school or with my group of friends, I'd write it down and that became a bit. And the more true the bit was to real life, the more uh, successful it was. And it's really the same. I'm telling stories the same way now. I'm just leaning into the sad. Yeah. Well, and, and it's interesting because like you say, leaning into the sad, but in reality, I mean, this show is a little bit drama, a little bit comedy, a little bit of life, which is what it is, right? Like, it's not always funny. It's not always sad. It's just life. Well, the story comes from a very real place for me. As a lot of people know, I lost a friend to suicide a few years ago. And even at his memorial, we were joking around because you use comedy as a way to get through life. You know, um, just when you think you can't take anymore, the world gives you a reason to laugh. You just have to be open to it. Right. So for me, um, as a stand-up comic, I, uh, it, it's essential to the group of friends uh, that they find that mix. Otherwise, it is just sad. I think this way, hopefully, it's authentic. Yeah, absolutely. And so, so I love talking about this stand-up comic side of it because I did see that. I knew that from you. Um, and Deadline, back in 2018, wrote about that as well. And so how do you transition? And, and I know a little bit about like what happened back in, it was like, I think like 2000, you said. Um, but how do you transition from the idea of being a stand-up comic to actually being this creator of shows and now a, a showrunner? Well, um, so just to transition into television, I, I was doing the Montreal Comedy Festival. I'd been in New York City after college doing stand-up and just sort of working on my comic, Who Am I?, trying to figure out how on stage to show the show. And at that point I thought I wanted to be like Seinfeld or like Ray Romano and be a stand-up who had a show built around him. Uh, I did the Montreal Comedy Festival. It was very gracious. Um, they named me Best New Face. And from that, I got a development deal with uh, CBS. They wanted to develop a show around my stand-up. So it was basically exactly what I'm talking about to sort of be the next Ray Romano. And I um, came out to LA paired with a showrunner at Jeff Strauss and Jeff said to me do you want to write it with me and I thought yeah that sounds like fun and we really wrote it together we sat shoulder to shoulder writing the show so every day it wasn't that he took a scene and I took a scene but we really sat at a keyboard uh, traded who was typing and and worked through the jokes together just the way you would imagine or hope it would be it was so much fun and I really love that script I've gone back and read that script recently and I'm so proud of it uh, we got to shoot the script and so we were casting it and suddenly I was going to be the actor in it. That's where things weren't so great because <laughs> I don't think uh, I'm a fantastic actor. Uh, we put an incredible cast around me. Elliot Gould played my dad. Liz Vassy played my wife. Uh, this funny guy, Burke Kreischer, played my best friend. Peter Jacobson from House, he played my um, my brother. And it was just like this really great show with a very bad actor at the center of it. Um, and, um, the show did not get picked up and I kind of was a little heartbroken because I didn't love acting in it. I loved writing in it. I had a whole team of agents and stuff that were my, um, you know, I guess they're called on-camera agents, you know, for, for acting. And, um, but I wanted to write. And so I wrote, um, a spec script. It was an episode. I wrote a spec back in those days. You didn't write originals. You wrote spec scripts. So I wrote a, 
an episode of uh, a Raymond script and um, got my first staff job. Larry Wilmore um, was my first boss. It was on a show called Whoopi uh, that was created by Bonnie and Terry Turner with Whoopi Goldberg as the lead. And um, that was, I, you know, I stopped doing stand up and moved to New York uh, with my, my wife and I had moved to LA so I could write for TV. I actually said, please move out here. She was a lawyer. She took the California bar. And as soon as we moved out here, I got a job in New York. So I, uh, I, I said, I don't know if it's going to last. I don't know if the show's going to last. I mean, who am I? Stay in LA. I'll fly back every weekend. And so my first gig on the Whoopi show, I was flying back and forth, living two days a week with my wife, my new wife, and five days a week with my single friends. And when Whoopi went away, I said, that's a show. And so I, I wrote, I sold this pilot called My Other Life in Brooklyn about a guy who marries the woman of his dreams only to get the job of a lifetime. And, um, uh, and from there, I, I staffed on a bunch of different shows, uh, had a bunch of different pilots, some that got shot, some that didn't. And then in 2014, I um, had written this script about my dad and the showrunner assistant from the first thing I ever worked on, that first gig that I was the actor in, um, she was head of comedy at NBC. And she said, I want to do that show about your dad. And that was Growing Up Fisher, which was a show starring J.K. Simmons and Jenna Elfman about my uh, visually impaired father and sort of a Wonder Years type show looking at what that was like. Mm. Uh, growing up with a superhero who couldn't see. So it sounds that I love that a superhero. That's man, that's incredible. What 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 love for you? He, he, is, he is he is at the end of every episode of of a million little things. You, there's a picture of me at age seven or eight with my dad, um, and that's my dad. He's my north star. That's that's amazing. And and I know that he's too uh, on your your Twitter profile. He's the one driving the snowmobile. Which growing up in Michigan, <laughs> I'm surrounded yeah, by snowmobiles. That's awesome. Yeah, that's a really <laughs> bad idea. He, he he cut. If you watch Growing Up Fisher, the pilot in the cold open, he takes down a tree with a chainsaw. Like my dad, just someone didn't tell him he was blind. Like <laughs> someone forgot to tell him. But you know, because he would do everything except drive a car and play tennis. And actually, he taught us how to drive a car. So, <laughs> uh, but he's eighty-five years old. He's still uh, just this uh, delightfully cantankerous guy who's <laughs> determined to live life on his terms. That's amazing. And, and does he, uh, partake in your show? Is he like, he's gotta be proud of you for what you've done. He's amazing. Yeah, he is. Um, cool. you know, as it turns out, he has um, a little bit of dementia now. So, um, mm. Delilah's father, the character we did, I think in episode four last season is loosely based on what my dad's struggling with now. Mm. Um, so he, he, um, I tell him about every episode, but, um, it's my, uh, my mom, who is uh, the biggest uh, current fan, mm. watching and uh, commenting and wanting to read scripts. She like she's really <laughs> funny. I was almost going to put her on the DVD commentary because she's so she's so into the show. So it's cool. <laughs> That's awesome. So it sounds like DJ, you you spend a lot of time writing what you know. Um, is that where all of this storytelling comes from? Is just opening yourself up to what's going on around you and telling it in your way. It, it, it goes back to my stand-up days. And if anyone listening is trying to figure out how do you break into storytelling or how do you become a storyteller, I would say do this. And the thing I'm, I'm going to suggest is something that once you turn it on, you can't turn it off. That's the only negative. But carry a pad of paper with you 
and you can do it on your phone if you want, but I always like the old school, like tiny, small, like just the facts, ma'am, spiral notebook. And you talk to somebody and, and you go throughout your day. And anytime something, this came from the stand-up days, but anytime something funny happened, you'd write it down. And it didn't matter that it was something original. It could be something you saw on TV or something you saw in a movie or something someone said, and it's just, you stop and you write it down. And the mere practice of getting your body trained to stop your, it's you know, you're, you're stopping life for a story. That practice of just do it, stop, write it down. Again, that's, you're not using all of the material because some of it's not yours, but it just is training your body to stop for story. It's almost like, you know, Mr. Miyagi with like, show me paint the fence or something. You're, 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 there's a subconscious muscle that is built. And now in my life, you could be telling me something and it could be like a very serious story about something that happened to you. And I, I, everything I hear, I go, is that a story? Is that a story? I mean, just as I was talking to you today, I, I, as uh, your listeners will know, I, I have to head home because I forgot my passport. And I joke with you, oh, I'm going to go home. My wife's going to be in bed with a guy. There's an episode of A Million Little Things. But like, I'm, even when something bad happens, I'm like, what's the story in that? What's the story in that? So to me, that's how I, the answer to like, do you write what you know? That's all I know how to do. Because to me, I prefer... The compliment the show gets that means the most to me is that it's authentic. Mm. And so when you're telling a joke, if the second I don't believe that it could have happened, I'm pulled out of it. The second, as long as I believe it could happen, if I believe, oh my gosh, um, just when Rome's mouth is full of pills, Gary calls to say, John took his life. Mm. If you can believe that moment, you will be moved by it. If you can believe Christina Moses, and her portrayal of Regina as she finds Rome's suicide note. If you can believe all of that, you'll lean in. And the same with the funny. Yeah. It's the same formula. It's just whether it, 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 just whether it's funny or not. You got to lean in. I like that. So, so DJ, the other thing yeah. I found very interesting is, and I've heard this about like collaborative storytelling. I'm fascinated by it because I we think I, I think that we often think of storytellers as sitting you know, in, in their room at their keyboard or with their notebook, doing this all by themselves. But, but you had the opportunity to work with a showrunner and write together and you loved it. You now take this idea of a million little things and you give it each week to this room full of people. How does that feel? Oh. Like, well, I mean, I feel sometimes not worthy of the room I'm in. That The room of writers that write a million little things are talented. They are um confident but vulnerable and uh have such humanity it's unbelievable how talented that writer's room is and the idea that we can take an idea and something that really happened to us on a friday or a saturday and turn that into story that's um thing you know that, that's that's the thing that i'm going for in in, in making the show and, and so so the like even you know i'll be writing a script and the room is carrying on without me and I'll come into the room and we'll always say, okay, I'm hijacking the room. Time to hijack the room. Got to hijack the room. <laughs> and as we're hijacking the room, a story happened this morning. There was something that wasn't working in a story. They had two rooms going at the same time. Room A came into room B's room and said, hey, uh, we need to hijack. And, um, and within, you know, 15 minutes, we were, um, David Marshall Grant took the part of, uh, uh, of Gary. I took the part of one of our guest stars this season and we were trying to figure out a scene and we just sort of improv it and, and we found it. We found it. 
so so dj i want to i want to dive into something here a little bit deeper because it's like you talk about writing what you know you talk about everything is a story and while i certainly would imagine like so i lost a friend who died by suicide way back 27 oh, years ago now thank you um and and it's affected me over the years i still i mean it affects my my daughters still today because i can talk about it in hopes of helping others so i would imagine that you would give anything to have your friend back. But is it also one of those moments of like, okay, we're going to use this for something without that catalyst. Would you have had John as a character? So, so like, how do you, how do you reconcile that in, in your heart that you don't want these strategies to happen, but also you have to help others. How does that work out in your, in your brain and in your heart, man? I can't, I can't reconcile that. Yeah. I mean, it, truthfully, I, um, you know, when the show wins an award or when we get a second season or when someone says to me like, oh, the way you capture depression and suicide is so accurate. Uh, There's like a governor in me that only allows myself to be a certain level of happiness over the show because once I realize how the show is possible, it sort of um, takes the wind out of that. And I, 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 I don't mean that as a sad statement. I think it's something that sort of it's part of what keeps me going is the fact that there is this fan base that is feeling seen and heard and that we are um, changing people's lives, hopefully for the better. Um, And it is extremely cathartic for me, but I think about them every day and I, um, it it is, it is uh, a mixed emotion because yes, this is the most success I've ever had in my career with a show and I am happier than ever been writing and it feels like I'm in my zone but there is a a great loss that happened and uh you know I think that's a little bit of we write it that way like Gary's happiness with Maggie and moving in the greatest day of his life is moving in with this woman he never thought he'd do that and all he can think is John should be here to see this I mean that that whole speech that he says John should see this that's me saying I wish my friend could be at our rap party yeah Oh, well, yeah, man. Well, well said. I don't, <laughs> it's funny. Cause I don't even like want to go anywhere else other than just let that sit there because that is so, so huge. And, and again, like being through myself and you hear this from all the fans, it is so authentic to see them go through these things. And there are times when I'm, I've got tears running down my cheek, but also I'm ready to laugh because of how Gary is. And it's just like, like, yes, just authentic. So I'll, I'll quit, uh, fan yeah <laughs> well the other thing is like also and i always say this it's a really it's been like a we were we were friends we weren't as close as the guys on the show and then when i talked to someone like dr jennifer ashton who mm. lost her ex-husband to suicide or Talinda bennington who lost her husband you know chester like there's people i've met in the last uh two years who have helped me out so much with the show and i feel like well i my grief isn't like theirs and and they'll quickly like uh only with words slap me and say like that's not fair to you like that's not every loss is a loss so so but at the same time there's that happening there's there's a it's a million little things but really there is a lot of stuff and also then i'll drive by this store that i used to go with him to and i'll just laugh out loud because he was really funny Hmm. he was really funny yeah the speech that maggie gives in the pilot she talks she talks about how um, what does she say? She says that, uh, you know, 
uh, she tells the story about John F. Kennedy Jr. and how he lost sight of the horizon. He was flying to Martha's Vineyard. His instruments were telling him which way was up, and he just didn't trust it. And by the time he realized he was nosediving and he couldn't pull up, uh, that's depression. She gives that speech. That was written in my notebook. I didn't write that for this show. I wrote it when I was on my way to my friend's memorial trying to understand how on paper we're so similar, but our endings were so different. And I just wrote it down. I stopped my life for story and I wrote that down. And then I didn't use it for three, four years. And I was looking for, I was like, oh, Maggie should say that, that thing. I go find that notebook. So, you know, um, that, that's what I mean. Obviously your storyteller thing is, 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 is what you're after today. That, um, that, that's it. You just, that's a great example of write it down. Mm-hmm. And and I the other thing I heard you say a minute ago before the Ma- the Maggie uh, the insight into Maggie was that to be seen and to be heard is is that part of why we love stories so much because we feel like we're seen and heard in those stories. I think it is why fans of our show like it and come back, and it's because and it's also why over Thanksgiving last year. I've never had more people say to me anything other than please don't kill Maggie. And it's because a part of them was Maggie. Maggie's a fictional character. Maggie does not exist. Maggie's played by Alison Miller brilliantly, but Maggie, you know, uh, it's just that she's not real. And yet we feel for her and we want her, we needed her to live in such a huge way. And it's because we needed a part of us to win. You know, there's a part of us that wants that optimism and that struggle and that journey. And maybe it's the friends we had who lost the cancer or the friends who beat cancer or the part of us that beat cancer or, you know, or is worried that we're going to lose the cancer. But it's also just symbolic of other struggles we have in our life. Like I want her, we root for her. So, um, yeah, I think that the millionaires that we call them, mm-hmm. they are, the show is resonating with them. They are seeing themselves here. You know, the episode that um, uh, David Marshall Grant shepherded last season dealing with um, Regina's child sexual assault, Mm. um, I know I've heard from so many people who just felt like that story hadn't been told for them. Mm. And it was so powerful. I mean, so powerful. Yeah, it handled just incredible uh, like yeah, I I, I now volunteer. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I didn't. The, the episode, the episode was powerful. But what's so powerful to me is hearing from the fans who go, "You told my story." Right. I mean, right. I was meeting with one writer who just started to cry in the office, saying, "Like I, I, I just was able to say to someone, that's that's it. That's the, that's what I'm trying to tell you." And just hearing, you know, I was having my teeth cleaned the other day, and the last time I'd seen the hygienist, um, because I'd gone to a cleaning in between. It was with a different hygienist, but. The last time I'd seen her was before the series aired. And as soon as I sat in the chair, she started talking about when Regina's mother had the same thing happen to her. And she was just so moved by that story. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I, you know, it's rare that you get that feedback as a writer directly from someone watching, but that type of feedback, the Twitter, like all those, everyone on Twitter who tells the stories or feels that they've been seen, that's what keeps me going. Yeah. You, you get up for us at 5 a.m. I, I read that. Like that's, yes. Um, this morning it was 4.30 cause I got to get on this flight, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so speaking of Twitter, you're, you're obviously DJ very active on social media with your fans um, on Twitter and Facebook groups. Is that, 
a natural thing for you? Like, should storytellers follow suit and be active with their fans? Um, well, two separate questions. Is social media a natural thing for me? Not at all. I don't okay. like social media. I think a lot of it can be hurtful, harmful, really harmful, especially with people who are susceptible to depression and suicide because you are seeing fake lives. You are seeing me post a picture of my visually impaired father driving a snowmobile, me posting pictures of the table read I went to or whatever that is, and you're not seeing me post, today was really hard, or um, you know, my friend really let me down, or I feel alone sometimes. And, and people don't post that. So you are seeing only this like best of version of people's lives. And then when you are trying to compare your life to that, it's just not accurate. It's just not fair. And so I dislike social media tremendously for that. And I keep my kids off of social media and I don't, I don't read the comment section on certain, like I just don't want to be part of that negativity that is social media. Now through this show, through this fan base, the millionaires and they are incredible there is a support network there is a, we may have started but the fans are dominating there is um an attention and uh, it's just unbelievable what they have done and i would say that that fan base response kept us on the air when in the early days when our numbers probably weren't as huge as they wanted to be but and and by tweeting other people it got our live plus seven numbers to be ridiculously high um, that, that social media in terms of our show and what it has meant to me personally and to our fans has been incredible. Mm. So, um, yeah. So, but in general, I'd not have been so like, I don't do a tweet about what happened with my son last weekend. Yeah. I don't really do that. And I don't, I, I don't post pictures of our family. Like I am very careful to make it, this is my showrunner of a million little things, you know, you know, the dad to this family. Um, that's what's on social media. Yeah. And, and yeah, and yeah, it's funny because some people do that and sound and come across very promotional and self-serving or whatever you come across again, so authentic. And while I didn't even think about the fact that I haven't seen anything about your family, I see so much about you as that showrunner and that you care for the fans. So, I mean, hats off to you, DJ, cause you, you, you run that very well. Oh, okay. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, so, so if 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 storytellers who are listening, as we're talking about it, for the fans, you know, like how much interaction do I do? If you if you if you tweet at me something specifically, I I will respond. I always try to respond, but to go back and forth sometimes that puts it too much in a um, I don't know you. And so I want to be really careful that I don't pretend like I do know you. I want to be respectful that I don't know your, your journey or your struggle. Um, so, I, 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 you know, so it's, it's a, you have to find that balance and hopefully I find it more often than I don't. Yeah, absolutely. And do you think that in today's day and age that storytellers interacting more one-on-one -on -one basically is, is a good thing for them to consider? Well, it always depends what your goal is. If your goal is to get the project made and to get the attention and to get the deal, having being active on social media and having the followers, yeah, that's that's a wonderful, great thing. You know, I don't know how many, uh, how much a person's followers leads to leads to live viewing on a night. Uh, you know, it certainly doesn't hurt it. Um, I, yeah, I would guess that is. But I think the most important thing is that people don't lose a sense of 
sell for their own privacy by being on social media. And I also try to balance it too, because if I'm home, I don't want to be on Twitter. I want to be home. So um, just finding that balance, you know, like sometimes when I get up at five thirty, like the other, I, I sent out a bunch of tweets, I think yesterday. Um, uh, and uh, I, I was up answering people's stuff and I, I wanted to make sure to do that. And as we get closer to the 26th of September, I will obviously will be very active because it's those fans that um, drive our numbers and I want to make sure we drive our numbers. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think it's, uh, yeah. And I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it feels to me like it's more, even more than just the numbers. Like the numbers are important, but you're, you've created this community almost. No, not almost. You've created this community and you're serving that community. And I think it's, that's wonderful. What do you, what do you find is one of your- very kind of you to say, just, well, just a comment on that. Yeah. It, it is. That's the part that's daunting. And that's the part that reminds me of my friend. And that's the part that reminds me of my friend in a very positive way, because it's so sad that he's gone. But if he, if his, if losing him prompts a conversation to take place that should have taken place, you know, hopefully a year before he took his life so that he didn't, like if we're starting a conversation now and, and, and his death is, is, is prompting that and this show prompted, there really is, there's an attention to depression and suicide right now on our show and no one ever wants to really interview me about breast cancer and it's because the media television movies has done such an amazing job at making cancer a talked about topic that it's not um article worthy i guess in our show about breast cancer. more people have breast cancer on our show than than um have depression and and, and so yeah. um but 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 there's there's now a new light on depression and suicide with our show. And if it is starting a conversation and, or really continuing a conversation, that's amazing. And that is like, again, you know, you want the biggest compliment you can give me if you go see me do stand up is to think of the joke I told when you're in your life at that next moment that it applies to. So if I do a bit about garage door openers and you're opening your garage door and you're thinking of my bit about garage door openers, that I don't actually have a bit about garage door openers, but if I did, if you thought of it, that would be great. Similarly, if the next time you're feeling down or the next time you're dealing with something, you're reminded of our characters and how they dealt with it in their life, that is the biggest compliment you can give me in the show yeah and it's and it's interesting you talk about breast cancer because that was one of the things i noticed was that talking about breast cancer from a male's point of view gary such a powerful moment too but then also like he's such a kind of a a, a douchebag about some of it you're like he gets his own in, in a way but it's just i love the balance of it it's just so good like he's not perfect He's not this guy who had breast cancer as a guy and is like, all of a sudden he's a saint. Like, no, he was, he was a jerk to women. And now he's finding his path, though. He, like, yeah, well, let's be clear. Every single one of them is broken. Yes. They're all broken. They're yeah. all Because we're all broken. All of us are broken in different ways. Some of us um, have a guide dog next to them, and you know right away what their handicap is or what their physical challenge is, like with my dad. Some people you don't know right away. And what my dad taught me is don't let that be your limitation. Let that be your inspiration. So, so if, if Gary is struggling, Gary's struggling with commitment issues and sense of self, his mom left when he was young. There's a bunch of stuff that Gary's dealing with. Um, and I didn't, 
I purposely had him get breast cancer because I wanted, when you have cancer, you feel so alone and you're fighting this thing and now you're in a support group. But the idea that he feels isolated in a support group was such a, to me, an amazing place to put him. Mm-hmm. And the idea that this relationship, he could finally have a normal relationship with a woman, um, that cancer made it happen, that their meet cute was a cancer support group, to me was a really interesting way to look at how both of those characters who are broken in different ways um, can help heal each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So it, it sounds to me like everything is, is great for you. You've got this amazing career and it's just so easy. Um, <laughs> no, 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 that's, that's just my Twitter. That's my Twitter. That's right, Twitter. right. But, uh, but I, I, I understand. It's not, it's, not, it's not all. I just want to be really clear, though, because I think that's, that's why people, it's not all great. It's not all easy. You know, um, it's, it's everything. There are days that are really hard. There are days that are really tough. You know, I try to be the best father and husband I can be. But even that with the challenge of running a show, you know, I'm, I'm, it's back to school night and I'm on my way to the airport. Yeah. So it's not all easy. Oh yeah. But what do you find is one of the biggest challenges as a storyteller in this career that you're in now? Like when they, when you have those hard days, what makes it a hard day for you? Bandwidth is the biggest problem. Mm. Bandwidth. Like I don't find writing the show hard or dealing with the actors is delightful. I don't find editing the show is a fun little puzzle you put together. All of it is, is doable. It's just doing it all. And I don't delegate that well. I'm not great at delegating. Um, so it makes it even more of a challenge. I have an incredible team and they're really supportive. And I'll sometimes come into the room and I'll go, guys, this is a tough day for me. I need you to carry me. And, and they will. And, and they do. Um, so, uh, but the biggest challenge for me in my life is finding the time to do it all. You know, and, and um, you know, there's a little secret that's not such a little secret. There's certain characters in the show that are different parts of me. The part of Catherine that struggles between finding the balance of work and finding the balance at home, um, you know, uh, it's a real big thing for me because if I could just be home for dinner every night, it would be so much easier. I can't because then it means 11 writers are waiting for me. But um, yeah, I think for me, it's the bandwidth issue. Yeah. Interesting. So, yeah. So success comes with, uh, you know, some sacrifice, but then you're trying to balance that. So yeah, that's incredible. Um, so I want to, you know, uh, um, just cause you mentioned it, cause you mentioned it and it's become a little bit of like a, uh, motivational, uh, uh, speech day, but, um, the secret to success is carefully defining success. So if, if, if I made the, my goal is not to have a hit show. Uh, my goal is to, you know, tell the stories I want to tell the way I want to tell them. You know, and, and part of the way I want to tell them is collaborating with my executives and my writers and stuff. But but I, I think it's I think sometimes, especially in this town, people lose sight of what the goal ought to be. Mm. I like that. Specifically define your goal and, and really understand it. No, it's kind of like I mean, Simon Sinek talks about it in the business world. Know know your why and live your why. Um, yeah, that's good stuff. So everybody can. Uh, yeah can go to the show notes to find DJ's links to his social, to his Twitter feed, this kind of stuff to obviously watch the show. Um, uh, so look for those. Is there any place that you direct people to really connect with you as well? In, in addition to any of those? 
Oh, it's by it, it, um, Ed Hey DJ Nash. The, the, the Twitter that that's the best way to get in touch with me. Yeah. Um, and I I don't respond every day, but I always respond and I look at all of them. And it, if you see a response, it is me responding unless. Let's say get hacked. I hope I don't get hacked. But um, uh, the but I really do try to reach out to to the fans. I try to, you know, um, there was an am- amazing story of, of of putting some people in touch with each other uh, who have um, suffered uh, from losses due to suicide. We've been really able to. The, the mental health community has been so unbelievably supportive of me and of the show. Um, and there's some resources out there where we've been able to help people. Um, but, but particularly if you're interested in finding out about writing or asking me a question, there's that. And I'm going to start my own podcast. That is happening. So uh, nice. maybe I'll have you as a guest on that. Awesome. I would, I would be incredibly uh, honored and blown away. And if you, if you ever have any questions about podcasting, I'm far from the expert, but I know a few things. Anytime. Okay. You I, may, I may have picked up on it. Absolutely. Do you need a microphone? I hear that. that that's one, that's one place to start, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, so DJ, I want to, I want to get to my last question here and then you can get to your airport. Sure. Um, if if yeah, my airport of choice, that's right. Yes. That's right. Get to the airport. Words are hard. Um, so if, if someone were to say to you, all right, man, you, DJ, you can no longer be a storyteller. What would your last story be that you'd want to go on on before you could no, no longer tell stories? Um, like what's that last story? Yeah. Oh, I know exactly what it is. Um, but if I tell it, does it mean it's over? I hope not. Let's say you had um, to, you know, be a, a an air, airline pilot tomorrow. What would your last story be before you go fly the planes? Um, it's something that my daughter said to me when she was three years old. Um, you know, I have, uh, my son and my daughter are 14 and a half months apart. And so when she was young, uh, and whenever my wife and I would split to take one kid each, I often took my son, maybe because he was older, maybe because he was the boy, but my, my daughter and I, I just remember we're, we're hanging out and it's just the two of us, which was rare because often it was just the four of us. And she's lying on her back um, and I started tickling her and she said of my son, she said, uh, he's your son. And I said, yeah. And I remember thinking to myself, um, I, I, I sensed a little bit of jealousy in the way she said it, but I was thinking just answer matter of factly. And I said, yeah, he is my son. And she said, um, and I'm your moon. and in addition to sort of giving me the speech at her wedding which was really nice to do um she just made me think of that i keep going back to it i keep going back to that thing that she said because i think in life and particularly in show business we struggle so hard to be the sun when sometimes what we're meant to be is the moon and i just remember her saying that to me and she said it and it would just stuck with me and I was working on the original script of this show and it was a comedy and it wasn't working and everyone said you should write it as a drama and I said I've never written a drama before and I was like you know what who cares let me be the moon and so my daughter at three years old like that story inspired me so 
I, um, that would be my last story. That's a good one, DJ. Man, that's a good one. That got me. I didn't write it. It's, it's, it's my daughter. It's not some yeah, teacher. that's awesome. Yeah. Listen, man, I, I really do appreciate it's some three-year-olds. <laughs> hey, there, there is so much. This has been amazing. There's untold wisdom in three-year-olds. I'm just, I'm just saying. Uh, and also, there's a fun, fun to be had in a ride to LAX. I didn't know that either. So thanks for this. Hey, absolutely. Uh, have have a, a wonderful time. I'm so excited that season two, as this airs, season two has just come out. We're recording it beforehand, but like, okay. I'm so excited, man. As a fan, as a fan of story in general, just incredible show. You and your team of writers are absolutely amazing. So thank you for that. And uh, they are amazing. I just, I, I just, I was smart enough to hire them. Uh, um, it's the season. I'll apologize in advance. You're going to be angry at me for some things that happen, but trust us. Please trust us. I, I, be I, put, great. I put my trust in you, my friend. Absolutely. Thank you, sir. Okay. Appreciate the time. Oh, incredible. Once again, thank you so much, DJ Nash, creator of A Million Little Things. Seriously, go watch the show and then connect with DJ in the links at the show notes on Twitter. He's amazing. Uh, it's just incredible. So if you enjoyed the episode, please consider sharing it with someone. As we're ending the season on entertainment storytellers, we're going into next season with educational storytellers. So look for that. Uh, you can take these episodes, post them to social media, text someone, just tell them in conversation like I do. Uh, and just, just spread the word. I really appreciate that. And if you want to share your story with me, go to thestorytellersnetwork.com, hit contact Dan on the contact page, send me an email and let me know what you love or maybe don't love about the show. And until next time, here's to telling our stories and having those stories to tell. Cheers. Okay. I have a lot of time. Yeah, it's just it's just a, there's going to be like a 90 second break in the middle where I go uh, <laughs> home to grab a passport, which could be a great storyline because I come home, I find my wife in bed with another man, and it changes my <laughs> life. That's that's like that's a million little things. That's a card flip right there. We just that wrote is. an episode, Dan. That is absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> can we can we put a hold for a sec while I yep, get the passport? This magical yeah. passport. Okay. Hold on a sec. Please. Honey, who is this guy? Wait, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs>